Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. Kim Kardashian made her Saturday Night Live debut and it was a lot. Timothy Chalamet revealed he was told never to do a superhero movie when he first started his acting career. And we're talking with Entertainment Weekly editor-at-large Lynette Rice about her new Grey's Anatomy tell-all book. It's October 11th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Nina Mohan. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Uh, Nina, you welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Look at you. you. You're back again. You were here last week talking about bad art, friend, and now you're back again. I did wedge my way in here again. I said, I think (laughs) there's some drama this week and I want in. Yes, Nina wants drama. Nina and I used to be on the same editorial team. Then she left me to be a supervising producer over on video. Um, So now I just need her back so we can just gossip all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I'm here to do. We have a lot of dramatic things to discuss, small and large. And I said, you better put me on this podcast. And she did. That's how it happened. All right. So to kick it off, Kim Kardashian hosted SNL for the first time over the weekend. And the reactions are pretty all over the place. You know, even though some people threatened to boycott the episode, because of course, it ended up getting higher ratings than even the previous week's season premiere. And, you know, the monologue, I think, was almost four minutes long, which is absolutely wild. They could have done a minute one and sent her out. But she, like, really ripped into people, especially O.J. Simpson. Now. You know, my father was and still is such an influence and inspiration to me, and I credit him with really opening up my eyes to racial injustice. It's because of him that I met my first black person. (laughs) Want to take a stab in the dark at who it was? Um, I know it's sort of weird to remember the first black person you met, but OJ does leave a mark. Or several. Or none at all. I still don't know. You know, and a lot of people were surprised by Kim's performance. One fan even tweeted, who had Kim K does a decent job hosting SNL on their 2021 bingo card? You know, I feel like I probably had it there. Maybe not on my bingo (laughs) card, but like, I'm not too surprised she did a decent job because I feel like the writers set her up very well. But I was kind of impressed with how game she was to sort of go in on every aspect of her life, including like her mom's boyfriend. Oh, my God. Yeah, she went she went in on Corey. She went in on Kanye, who some say like he was rumored to be in the audience. You know, it was all that. And then, of course, she went in on O.J. Simpson. But, you know, we were talking about it earlier and, you know, you were like, well, she went in in a weird way. It was kind of weird. Just it was a little too dark, I think for me, just because like, yeah, her father represented OJ, but like Nicole Brown Simpson was like Kris Jenner's close friend apparently. And so it just felt really weird to make that joke about like something so dark and like a brutal murder. So that was the one part where I was like, maybe she was a little bit too game. (laughs) (laughs) 
Very fair. Very fair. But yeah, overall, it could have gone way worse than it did. It could have. (laughs) Moving on, Timothy Chalamet recently revealed that someone he considers a hero once gave him two rules for his career. No hard drugs and no superhero movies. So far, he's avoided superhero movies, though he did admit to auditioning to play Spider-Man a few years back and hasn't completely shied away from big budget, high profile roles. Like later this month, Dune will hit theaters and Timothy just posted the first photo of himself as a young Willy Wonka in the upcoming movie musical Wonka. Wait, I also I also just found out that it was a um, a movie musical. Like I know there's songs in Willy Wonka, but I didn't know ha- that we were emphasizing musicals. So now I'm even I. more scared. <laughs> I'm nervous now, Um, but okay. Um, I think that this is like terrible advice that he thankfully didn't seem to take because like, I'm like one superhero movies make a lot of money. Sometimes you just need the money in your pocket to be able to like do the fun indie stuff that you like doing. You got to fund yourself somehow. And two, I feel like there was the stigma that like superhero comic book movies, whatever were like quote unquote lowbrow things to do at one point for an actor. But like two people have won Oscars for playing the Joker. So like, is it really a bad decision? I don't know. I think this was bad advice. It's not. And then also, you know, our producer, Jess Goodwin was saying like, Oh, okay. You won't do superhero, but you'll do Willy Wonka. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like I know Dune isn't a superhero movie, but like, it's kind of like franchisey, isn't it? They're going to make a second one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This uh, this just reminds me, and it's just because I always have to talk about her because she's my enemy and she doesn't know. It, it's uh, Maya Bialik. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just because I hate when she says, she's like, oh, I don't watch TV. It gives me that same vibe of like, oh, I won't be in superhero movies. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's yeah. all I have to say to that. <laughs> I'm not into it. No. Okay, so moving on, in case you missed it, Grey's Anatomy returned for its unprecedented 18th season a couple of weeks ago. But its premiere was surrounded by a little bit of drama. And no, we're not talking about the typical, which cast member is leaving, how much money is Ellen Pompeo making, you know, will this be the final season kind of drama. That's because the season premiere basically coincided with the release of a brand new tell-all book that takes readers behind the scenes of the notoriously scandal-ridden show. Titled How to Save a Life, The Inside Story of Grey's Anatomy, it's an unauthorized look at the show and its stars. Today, we're talking with the book's author, Entertainment Weekly Editor-at-Large, Lynette Rice. And whether you're a huge Grey's fan like me, yes, I am still watching season 18, who has seen literally every episode, or you just love drama like Nina, (laughs) there will be something for you in this interview. Hi, Lynette. Thanks so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure to be here. So, you know, Grey's Anatomy just began its 18th season, making it one of the longest running TV dramas of all time. Your book was released a few weeks ago, and it's called How to Save a Life, The Inside Story of Grey's Anatomy, and it it covers all of the drama both on and off the set. But before we get into the book, let me ask, are you a Grey's super fan, and what perspective were you coming in with when you started this book? Uh, I'm not a super fan. I don't think I'm a super fan of anything, um, uh, because as I'm sure it's the same with you guys, as a, a... a writer who covers television, there's so much I have to watch. <laughs> but I always did watch the show. I like to call myself as an originalist. I mean, I loved the original cast of the show, but I was also one of those viewers that gave up on it after McDreamy died. And I mean, I don't know if I was resentful, 
but I was just like, does this have anything for me? And then I came back to it, but I've never been a super fan. And I'm also of the, the mind that it's time for the show to end. So when this came to me, it actually just kind of fell in my lap. I, I got an email from a crown editor who now is my agent. I was his first client. And he said, would you want to do this? I'm like, sure. Oh, maybe I can try it. And so I had to put together a proposal. And even as I was writing the proposal, it felt very recappy to me, you know, like, I'm, you know, recapping all these big headlines in the history of the show. And I'm thinking no one is going to freaking be interested in this. So when it went out to the publishing houses, I was shocked that there was actually multiple bids for the book. And so, yeah, that's the humble beginnings of the book right before the pandemic. (laughs) I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And like, I think one of the main reasons Grace has remained in the zeitgeist for such a long time is because of like the near constant off-screen scandals too. I mean, obviously we all remember when Katherine Heigl dramatically left the show in season six, but what are some of the lesser known, like behind the scenes moments that our audience may not have heard about and any that made you really excited as a fan of the show? Not a super fan, but just a fan. I remember, I mean, as, as a reporter covering television, you always hear about shows that are tough to work on. Like Friends, for example, very early on, you heard that they were pulling all-nighters in the writer's room. They would just work forever. And I remember hearing early on that it was a tough show to work on. And most recently, Ellen confirmed that she did like an interview a couple years ago with Variety. And she quite literally said Grey's was a disaster behind the scenes for the first decade. And so some of that was, of course the headlines. But the other thing was about how production just ran away from them. And it's funny now thinking about that in the wake of what's happening right now in Hollywood and that we might see a union uh, strike because of the long hours and what it's doing to the crew. That's the kind of stuff that happened on the show. And the actors contributed to it. Like if they wanted to stay in their trailer, they stayed in their trailer. And I talked to a couple of crewmen who acknowledged that that's what was happening. There was no real leader on the set. So that really contributed to these like, oh my God, hours that were just unbearable. And you know, you conducted over 80 new interviews with cast members, crew members, and musicians who worked on the series, which is an incredible amount of work. What were some of your expectations going into these interviews? And did anyone surprise you? Well, first with actors, you never expect to really get the goods yeah. in terms of like <laughs> it, what what life is like on the set. That's why it's great to really cast a wider net with folks that don't necessarily have a dog in the fight anymore. I mean, there's a, I talked to a lot of people no longer on the show. Writers are always the best sources because they're on the front lines, one with uh, Shonda. They get to see what Shonda's like to work with, but then they also can speak to the kinds of stuff that, you know, fans relate to the most, like the decisions that were made, like, you know, Meredith sleeping with George, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And you know, who hooks up with who. And I mean, that definitely resonates with the fans. But I think probably one of my more surprising interviews was with James Perriott, who was, you know, very he wasn't very well known, even at the very beginning, you know, when you give a show to a person like Shonda, who obviously is a a unique talent, but this is a gal who hasn't run a show before. So they're going to bring in 
experienced showrunners, i.e. men, to be there with her to keep the train on the tracks. And so it was still very much Shonda's show, but you bring in a James Period type, a non-writing exec producer who's, you know, they're like blowing the horn and stuff. He, when I called him just to get some early color about life on the set, he was the one that told me that, well, I actually came back in Patrick's final year to be this, you know, Patrick whisperer type. And we knew none of that in the, in entertainment press when this was all coming down. And I even, I even had the only interview with Patrick after he left the show. And I didn't realize even then you I mean, you heard inklings, of course, that something ain't right about his departure. But even then I knew I wasn't hearing the whole story. So when I called James period, and then he just started talking about that final year, that's when I kind of like fell off my chair. Like, oh, really? It was like this? You know, that kind of stuff. That's so wild. Um, and you mentioned uh, Shonda Rhimes. So the book obviously also covers her influence as the show's creator. Um, Shonda's known as a very private person and some fans speculate that she can be pretty ruthless to actors who fall out of favor with her. Uh, but your book gives us some great details about Shonda the person. So what was your opinion of Shonda going into writing the book? And did that opinion sort of change as you learned more about her? It didn't necessarily change. We already, one of the fun things for me, at least as a reporter writing about this was I I took the opportunity uh, to talk to fellow reporters who covered the beat, you know, when we were at EW, because there's were several of us who covered the show. And even Mike Osiello, who has since left EW and he's gone to do TV line. And then Kristen Dos Santos, who was like the original beat reporter. And so we all got an idea of what it was like to deal with her. And, you know, she had to learn on the job how to tease a show. And that's a fine art. I mean, you can't just learn that overnight. So first she had to get over the hump of like, like, why do I have to talk to these reporters and tease them? Why can't they just watch my show? Because look, we were very much a part of the show's success because we were constantly writing about it. And of course, we were constantly writing about it because it was getting clicks. Everyone wanted to read everything there was to know about Grey's Anatomy. But trying to get her to that point of like talking about plots and giving us just enough that we can run with was always like pulling teeth. She got better at it, but we never still got the impression that she really wanted to be on the phone with us. (laughs) So she's definitely a complicated woman, but I'd rather have a complicated woman like her than some of the other execs that we've had to deal with in the past. (laughs) All right, well, we'll be right back with more behind the scenes secrets of Grey's Anatomy. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Welcome back. We're talking with Lynette Rice about her tell-all book, How to Save a Life, The Inside Story of Grey's Anatomy. 
So you also dive deep into Patrick Dempsey's exit from the series in season 11 and the drama surrounding that. In the past, it's been covered as sort of a he said, she said situation. You know, Dempsey said his exit, quote, unfolded in a very organic way. Meanwhile, an executive producer of the show said, quote, he sort of was terrorizing the set. Some cast members had all sorts of PTSD with him. I mean, was there anything you learned that could help clarify what happened? I definitely learned that he figured out virtually overnight that maybe I made the wrong decision signing a two-year extension to my deal because when this all came down, that he was in year one of his two-year extension. And I think once that happened, then there was a realization like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And so he was a guy who recognized that one, I maybe made a mistake, but also he's ever mindful of the power that he wields on that set and he used it in his favor. I mean, he used it to like rock the boat. And And that became difficult, especially for somebody like Ellen, who she's there working very long hours. So she doesn't need to hear other people complain about they just want to go home. I mean, because she's working her ass off. And so that's what made life difficult and translated to a very unhappy work environment, you know, on, on the set. You know, you focus in general on a lot of the major cast departures from the show, you know, because there are so many. Dempsey, Isaiah Washington, Katherine Heigl, Jerrica Hinton, who played Stephanie Edwards. I mean, does it feel like there's a common thread behind what led to all of these? Or is this just a normal amount of drama you'd see on a network show after 18 seasons? Although a lot of these came way before the 18th season. Right, right. Well, I mean, there's like there's a several points of entry one this is what a series with like serialized storylines this is what should be happening you have to turn over the cast you know to keep the conflict to keep the drama going so from that point of view yes it makes sense at the same time there seems like many of the departures come with so much intrigue about them like this isn't just like a Sandra O oh we're so sorry to see her go let's plan a year in advance for that big wonderful goodbye which is what she got Um, because there's several examples where the departure was very abrupt and left more questions than answers the most recent example when Justin Chambers left you know that was very abrupt and we didn't even see, we, you know, we heard, we got the statement that he was leaving. We finally saw his final episode. And he wasn't even there. We just heard his voice. And the creative choice that they made to say that he left this woman who they really did a great job for a couple seasons to convince that he really loves he and Joe. And then instead he left her to go back to Izzy and his kids. I mean, That just didn't make sense. Well, it didn't. And I have to say, as someone who watched it, I mean, I heard about a lot of rumors behind the scenes of that because it left a bad taste in your mouth and being like, oh, it seems like they don't like Justin Chambers because why would they do this to him? Did you hear about anything on that front? Yes, just as there are as many rumors with him as there were with Patrick ultimately comes down to what I can report. And I wasn't able to report, but yes, I heard stories. And uh, (laughs) there were stories. And um, you... I think we have an old saying in Hollywood, which we always like, but I learned at the trades and then I carried it on when I went to EW, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and almost always it was what you heard, there was truth to it. And this isn't necessarily the way that a beloved 
uh, character goes away. This is the 18th season. It's once again, it's feeling like it's the last year. Look, we just got Kate Walsh. We're getting more of the exes coming, coming back and visiting us. It would be outstanding if Catherine Heigl came back, but you, I don't even think you now because of the way they sent Justin Chambers off, you can't have her come back without having Justin coming back. I mean, you can, they'd figure out a way, but it wouldn't feel right. So, uh, so um, and, and that bums me out because I really would like to see her back, but I don't know if it will. So we, we always kind of wondered there for a while, we being the reporters of Cover Grace, that if you get killed off this show, does that mean somehow that Shonda hates you? Yes and no. She didn't hate Eric Dane. And in fact, I remember she wrote a, like a lovely goodbye column for EW at the time, you know, because how much she loved Eric Dane and that character. And ultimately, maybe things weren't pretty with the way that Patrick left the show, but the only way that you can close out that character is by killing him. Any other solution wouldn't have felt organic with his relationship with Meredith. They, she set them up as the perfect couple. She set him up as the perfect man. So if you suddenly had him leave her and you know go move to Washington, D.C. or something, which was a possibility, and then have them break up, that wouldn't feel right. So this was the only way to get him off the show is you got to kill him. Totally. Um, so obviously this wouldn't be a podcast about Grey's Anatomy if we didn't talk about its namesake, Ellen Pompeo. Ellen is certainly a divisive public figure who sometimes comes under fire for the things that she says. So like just recently there was that whole uh, yelling at Denzel Washington on set controversy. And then there are many other stories like how Jerrica Hinton was rumored to be fired because she was taking Polaroids on set without asking Ellen for permission. And she also has a history of saying some interesting things like, quote, I always feel really comfortable around black people. I married a black man, which is from like the first 10 pages of your book. Um, obviously, it's always the scandals that get the most coverage. But how do you feel about her like after writing the book? I focus on the fact that when she was first cast. I mean, she definitely had some experience in Hollywood, but she was a high school graduate. She, she was born and raised in a working class environment in Boston. The other thing is that with a show like Grey's, while it did its job and it created stars, it didn't cast stars, there also is no training for young, previously unknown stars on how to navigate the Clegg lights, you know, and, and it wasn't white, hot, intense very early on. I don't know if you recall, but, and I deal with this a little bit in the book. It was like the second season and all of a sudden there was all this attention on her weight. I mean, she's already a very small woman, but she seemed to get really small in that second season. So she was being scrutinized and there were headlines like, what kind of example is she setting for young women watching the show? Which in retrospect is really unfair because that, if you look at her, she has the same body. She's just a tiny woman. That's just the way she is. But that's so much to put on this young actress and who's still just starting out. So I say that stuff to try to rationalize why they end up saying things they probably shouldn't say. And that can also be applied to Isaiah Washington. You know, as a reporter, you love people like Ellen because they're unfettered, they're unplugged, and you never know what we're going to get. And it makes for some great quotes. But after she's done talking, you're like, hmm, why did she say that about Denzel? <laughs> 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 and which was such a weird choice. 
when you think about a Denzel, you know, you bring in a Denzel as a stunt, you know, you, it's something to market. It's something to bring people to the show and that's exactly what it did. So when that happens, you just let Denzel be his Denzelness. So I, you know, everyone knows it's her show. Honey, we know that you're the highest paid woman in town. You don't have to remind us. So why did you say that? I, I, I don't know, but I don't dislike her. <laughs> I, don't, I still have, I have such respect. I still respect the fact that she stayed with it because, you know, there's plenty of men in this town who've left TV shows early because they think they're huge stars and they can go like have an incredible film career. And that ended up not being the case. She stayed with the show and she also aged in front of us and was very candid about that, which is that's, that's very refreshing. And it's also nice to occasionally talk about the, the, highest paid woman in Hollywood. I mean, it's a nice change. So I'll take the bad with the good. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's one of those like, you know, cue Lynette hitting her forehead. Like <laughs> You didn't make the best choice there, but no one gets really great press instruction on what not to say. Okay, so I have one last question for you. After 18 years of this show being on air and after writing this book, what one word would you use to describe everything that Grey's Anatomy is? Seriously? Yeah, I'm giving you one word. (laughs) (laughs) That's the word. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) That's seriously the word. That is is perfect. That is perfect. (laughs) It applies to everything. And it definitely applies to think about the fact that we're still talking about stuff that happened years ago on the show and people still want to talk about that stuff. All the press that I've been doing about the book is about the stuff that happened so long ago because people want to figure out what the answer is and there is no answer. It's just like shit happened. That's the way it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Lynette, thank you so much for joining us today. That's my pleasure. Well, that's it for today. And Nina, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And because you're our special guest, I would love for you to do our PSA of the day. I absolutely will. So remember, Willy Wonka isn't any more highbrow than a superhero movie. Nailed it. All right. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily. 